Seriously, you can't even make a story like this up. You have this guy that has been going on a killing rampage, and then all of a sudden, he ends up on the dating game and actually wins the damn thing. Welcome to Talk Murder to Me. Hey, thanks. What are we drinking tonight, Nicole? We are drinking Bachelor Cocktails, which is rosé wine, some raspberries, and chocolate liqueur. Mm, I like it. Yeah, it's really good. You don't sound very convinced at all. He says that every week. Just trying to figure out how he's going to get the raspberries. You don't really taste the chocolate very much. Not really. Wait, there's chocolate in it? Creme de coco. We don't really taste it because it only called for a very small amount. Mm. If it may be relative to the wine I poured, it was not enough. Yeah, well, that's okay. We can continue to drink wine when this is gone. Yeah. I like the raspberries with it. Yes, I do. I love raspberries. When I was a kid, I used to go mm. picking raspberries in the raspberry fields in New Hampshire. Not by myself. I mean, obviously, I was supervised. Like, <laughs> this is not something I just like, w- She's ran like out of the house. Skipping in, stru- in <laughs> raspberry is, fields. This is not songs of the South or anything like that where you zippity doo through the raspberry fields. But zippity doo da zippity day. So I was on Snapchat the other day. I got a Snapchat from one of our tacos, Katie, and she sent me an update about the Jamie Kloss story. Oh, the uh, killer, her kidnapper, actually received a life sentence, so he will be rotting in jail for the rest of his life. Good. That so thank you, Katie, for that update. Surprise shots. Surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. Did you mix that with anything? Yep. <coughs> Fudge. That's strong. Uh, Watermelon pucker. Yep. And I don't know. And vodka? Nope. Tequila? Yes. Mm-hmm. It was like Jesus a watermelon Christ. margarita. Christ. Why? Because it was delicious. That's no, why. Tequila. Jen, you don't mix tequila with those things. I just did, and it was great. And we're drinking wine. <laughs> We're drinking tequila and wine. <laughs> we had one shot of tequila and cocoa. What the fuck? What yeah. is this podcast about anyway? <laughs> I don't know, John. You tell us. Tell us. <laughs> Where are we going and who are we killing? Don't use my line. That's my line. I told you guys tonight will be a crazy episode and I plan on delivering that promise to you. So the hint, I gave two hints tonight. The first was photography class. And the second was eligible bachelor. So if you guessed the right hint, then congratulations. Then you really know your true crime. But, Nicole, where are we going and who are we killing tonight? So I noticed that when you um, had released today's episode that you removed my guess. What? When you edited. You d- I didn't, the point where you were like, no, it's not. You took that part out. So I am going with. We're not doing the Night Stalker. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit. <laughs> I thought you were doing that intentionally because I was actually right to begin with. No, I'm not. We're yeah. not doing the Night Stalker. Um, you, would you like to take another guess or do you want to keep with that one? <laughs> All right. I'm going to stick with California. 
Okay. I think he was in California, right? He was. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't done that episode yet. What's his name? Richard Ramirez. I know that because we've got a sticker, people. Yeah. If you want to become a Taco Supremo and get a Rich, Richard Ramirez sticker, register, bitch. Okay. I think the killer has, um, so he's in, really into photography. He has a dark room. And in the dark room where he develops his photographs is also where he hides his bodies. <laughs> I swear you guys could write for like <laughs> HP, not HBO, but some. You guys could, damn it, Jen. You guys right. could, you guys could write like a B rated horror movie. B rated. B rated. I already wrote a horror movie. It was called Nature Island. You never told us the details <laughs> of that. Nature Island? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? Ask Kendra. It was should, great. Should we act that out when we're on the RV? <laughs> Maybe. It sounds pretty lame. What is it about? It's about don't nature. Don't prejudge. All right. Jan, where are we going? Who are we killing? Uh, I don't know. For some reason, I think that we're going to Boston and we're talking about the Craigslist killer. <laughs> what? <laughs> What does that have to do? Was he an eligible bachelor? I mean, he, he was, was like a doctor, right? Oh yeah, he was. He was going to be a doctor, and I felt like I, he, I remember him taking a photography class, but I don't know. Hmm. Oh man, what is this? American Psycho. That's a fictional movie, Jen. I thought it was. Based on, <laughs> I thought it was based on true story. <laughs> no. Well, I haven't seen the movie, so I haven't even seen the oh movie. Oh my gosh, such a good movie. <laughs> we own it. I just haven't seen it. Well, I'm good telling guess. you, these hints tonight are spot on. There could not be any better hints that I gave y'all. In fact, the hint was so good, and even though you guys couldn't guess it, a fan of Talk Murder did guess it on Facebook, and she actually messaged me with her answer, and here it is. Hi, guys. I'm Charlotte from Wiltshire in the UK. Hey, Charlotte. Um, so my guest for this week's killer is Rodney Alcala. Um, I know a bit about the guy, but not a lot, so uh, a couple of things. Um, he was on a She's dating a great game voice. show, which I think he won, which is absolutely terrifying, because I think that was after he'd killed a few people. Um, and secondly, he posed as a photographer to lure women in um, with the promise of uh, professional photo shoots. So he has taken the picture of hundreds and hundreds of women um and not all of the women in the pictures have been identified so um it's absolutely chilling terrifying this guy is deranged um so yeah good luck with the episode and keep up the great work thanks oh my god thank you so much charlotte charlotte you will not you obviously we don't have a camera on us but to hear someone like from the uk call in and it's just mind-blowing so thank you so much for listening hope everything across the pond is awesome if you've listened to our dennis nilson episode you'll know yes about my love for uh the uk and yeah wow you should have seen our our reactions yeah. <laughs> that's pretty pretty fucking awesome actually. i know thanks so, to thank all of our so fans much. all around the world i've been really excited about this episode i do want to warn you it's brutal Tonight, we are going to Hollywood, California. Okay. Is the Manson Murders? No, it's not the Manson Murders. Oh, oh. No more guessings. You don't know it. 
You don't know it because you're not a true <laughs> Jen's crime going on fi- aficionado. Fish <laughs> <laughs> We're going to Hollywood, Hollywood, California. I'm you. talking about Beverly Hills, Fresh Prince of Bel Air style. That's okay. Hollywood, right? How do, oh, how does that? Start? How does it start? Um, well, this is a story all about hell. When my life got turned like upside, turn upside down. down. I'd like, like to take a minute just sit right, right there, there and I'll tell you about the time I came to It's not unusual to be loved by anyone. It's not unusual to be in with anyone. All right. Tom Jones. Listen, we're going... November 10th, 1977 is when we're starting this story. Hollywood, California. Is it the Hillside Stranglers? No, but I'm going to bring that up. Hillside Stranglers were working in the area. Working. So was. <laughs> they're working in so the wa- area. That's what they're called. So was a certain killer. killer? They used a 45 caliber. And killed co-eds when they were parked making out in their car. Oh, Edmund Kemper. No. He would walk up. Oh, Zodiac Killer. No. Damn it. He would walk up and shoot couples making out in their car. Yeah, Zodiac Killer. No. The Son of Sam. Oh, Son of Sam. (laughs) David Berkowitz. Is that what we're doing right now? We're not doing that right now. You're you're, you're getting me all off track here. And I don't right. even know so I don't know so many things about so okay. many serial killers. S- it was so seven. Where were normal people before this started? Just to remind seven, you. Seven a.m. Well, normal. Seven a.m. November nineteen seventy-seven. The cops were dispatched. LAPD. They're dispatched to a service road between Mullahan Drive and Beverly Ranch Road. I'm talking big, nice houses. Okay. Mm-hmm. In fact, this murder in particular, I'm about to talk about Marlon Brando. Was uh, interviewed for this murder. Wow! Because they were interviewing all the neighbors. So this, if you think of Marlon Brando and his neighbors were interviewed for this murder, I'm talking about right now. As I said, November 10th, 1977, 7 a.m., Hollywood, California. Cops dispatched down this lonesome road, Mullahan Drive and Beverly Ranch Road, just a few blocks away from Marlon Brando's estate. I, everyone, everything that I keep thinking of, like, nope, wrong year, nope, wrong year. Mm. I know my mom requested a story. No, but you that's guys not would it. not know this. Breathtaking views of Beverly Hills and the Los Angeles basin on the other side. Cops headed down another secluded road, Franklin Canyon Drive, where they discovered in the dense brush, because it's always in the dense brush, a body. If you're a little squeamish, cover your ears. Female victim. I'm just going to go through it. Forgive me. Female victim. She's on all fours, like a a dog would be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Her knees were bent. The tips of her toes were touching the ground. The inner knees and her thighs were pointing outward. Now, this is in the brush. So they push back this brush, and they see this, like, facing away from them, I mean, who would die in this position? She's on all fours. Her knees are splayed out. Somebody could have put her there, kind of displayed her there like that after. No panties. 
and her buttocks was spread wide open. The cops thought her neck was broken because it was twisted in such a way that her entire body weight was on it and her head was between her breasts. Oh, my goodness. So she's on all fours, knees splayed open, head in between her breasts. The top of her head was touching the ground beneath her knees. Her right hand pulled under her body. The fingertips of that hand were directly under her lacerated anus, completely oh, no. split open. Oh, All right. no. Oh, no. Blood dripped from both her vagina and her anus, and it was everywhere. Okay, this was a horrific scene. This, oh, I mean, if you think about someone getting... This is like a car wreck at 100 miles an hour head-on collision. That's how mangled this body looked. It was bad. A light green sweater that she wore was pulled up over her back. Obviously, she's been sexually... I mean, she's been raped, obviously. No stockings, no shoes. One pants leg was pulled down and crimpled up in her knee, like where the knee bends. The other pants leg, completely off the leg wrapped around and tied around her neck that was also in between her breasts. Mm. A bloody rock was found close by. It was a pretty large stone, and this is directly from the autopsy report at the time. Quote, she had been badly beaten around the head and face with a substantial-sized rock lying nearby. The pointed side of that rock, now this rock was about, seven inches by five inches, probably more than that. It was it was a boulder looking thing, but it was pointed at the end. And the end, the pointed end, was the only one that was bloody. So mm-hmm. you can tell which side she got hit with. Yep. Blood splattered on the dense brush and everywhere around the victim. I already described how gruesome the scene was, but just to solidify it even more, one of the young detectives... You know, this is one of his first murders he ever seen. Couldn't eat, physically eat for three days. Mm, whoa. Okay. Could not eat for three days. I don't blame him Throwing for up, that. Yeah. Like, that's you cannot. Gruesome. I feel like I would actually physically go into a state of shock if I saw that myself, too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're not done yet. The autopsy was performed by Dr. Benton for Jane Doe 95. All right. 95? Jane Doe number 95 in California. Oh. Yeah. Um, not by the same killer. Quickly identified as Jill Barkholm. Now, Jill Barkholm was born December 18th, 1958. Here is a picture of the poor lady. Um, Young, dark hair, long, long dark hair. hair. She had a freckle ab- above her like, right lip. Like a movie star mole. What did Jill do? I'll get to that. Okay. Now, Jill was a tiny woman, 95 pounds, 5 feet tall. DNA was collected, sperm both in her vagina and anus. However, this is 1977. Yeah, they collected DNA, thank God. They did that with all the crime scenes. But they couldn't do anything with it. It's only now that we're really hitting the advanced technologies where we can actually go back and get small amounts of what they call trace evidence. Mm-hmm. Very small amounts of DNA, and somehow they magnify that or whatever, and they can match a killer. But back then, all that you can do is collect it in a test tube. So that's what they did. The 2nd of February 2007, a report filed by the state of California 4th Appellate District 
versus the defendant, which I'll get to, did show that the sperm matched the killer. So it's just now in the recent years, what I'm trying to say, that we're getting to the point the DNA could do this. So was the person not caught until recently? Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, the person was caught, but I'm saying, all right, uh, let me get that. Okay. Now, you think that was bad. Let's get to the autopsy. This is from the book that we're reading tonight, which I have not told them yet, but I'll tell them in a minute what it is to keep them in suspense. Nicole, can you please read this autopsy report findings for us? Massive face, head, and neck trauma, including Deep cuts embedded with broken bone fragments into her skull. Blood seepage all around her bl- brain. Small blood vessels in her eye and those around her heart ruptured from the pressure and the dep- deprivation of oxygen. Three ligatures around her neck. A top ligature of her blood-soaked left pant leg tied to, into a grandy knot up under her left ear. A middle ligature of two knee-high nylons. Not knotted together and tied around her neck. A bottom ligature of a woman's belt cranked tight around her neck. A deep bite mark surrounding the nearly severed nipple of her right breast. Four blood smears like four fingers where the offender was holding the breast while he was biting the nipple. Blood smears all over her body where the assailant was manhandling and twisting and pulling and doing whatever. Deep scratch marks indicating defensive injuries on her arms, shoulders, pelvic area, and abdomen. Multiple bleeding lacerations and cuts penetrating her anus. Singed pubic hair. Singed pubic hair? Wow. Yeah, so... What the fuck, man? That's kind of extreme. Dr. Breton that was doing the autopsy explained, explained that almost all of her injuries, all the ones that Nicole just read... And everything that I illustrated earlier, all of the injuries were inflicted while she was still alive <gasps> and <sighs> while blood was pumping through her body. Oh, Im- my God. Just imagine having to be the doctor <sighs> to discover that, that she was alive. this horrible <sighs> carnage and it was all done when she was alive. That's awful. I mean, that's the one thing that I feel like families have some sort of solace when they have someone who is deceased, you know, is to hear the words, you know, they didn't feel any pain. Right. And like that is one of the worst tortures I've ever heard. Mm. She was strangled first with the hands, second with literatures. But this did not kill her. All right. In fact, she was alive when the killer continued to bash her head in with a pointed end of the rock. And a quote from the book we're reading, quote, she was definitely alive. Mm. So how did she get there? Now, here's a theory. The coroner proposed this theory. She was placed there. In that position or like, like how did she get to the bush? She was both carried there to the dense brush and then posed in that position. Mm-hmm. The reason he thinks this is because, as I said earlier, she wore no shoes. Okay? And her feet would have been dirty if she mm-hmm. walked Exactly. There. Her feet were not dirty. Her feet were actually clean. But not only that, it was such a strange position for her to be found in. And also... Yeah, to die in that position doesn't make sense. Also... collapse under your own weight. Yeah. Also, the feet... There were no bare footprints in the dirt. Mm-hmm. There was only one set of footprints remember because i'm trying to paint the picture of a complete monster 
You're doing right. a good job so far. So I want you to remember that she was alive throughout this entire thing. Mm. And in fact, her anus was torn open from two contusions oh. just below the vagina. And as Nicole said, she said singed. Well, her pubic hair was singed. Yeah, that's what she said. Singed on the left side, indicating that there was a flaming instrument placed between her thighs and into her vagina. Who does that? I guess we'll find out. Now, LAPD detective Philip Van Adder, and I'm going to pause a minute because he's actually, he was actually the lead detective on a very popular future case coming up. So I'm going to give you a second to think. The Hillside Strangler? No. Zodiac Killer? No. He was the lead detective on the OJ case. Oh. All right. Oh. Yeah. So he. Was he the, the. I don't know. I haven't done that story. I don't know. That was the one who I was like, oh, maybe you're doing that one. But then I was realized not the right year. Yeah. My mom wants you to do that one. So this detective, he interviewed residents of the Hollywood Hills, including Mr. Marlon Brando. Have we heard this? Like, do, what, is this a name we recognize? Yeah, because there's such a unique huh. that you won't recognize the name, but you'll most likely recognize the very unique aspect about this case. Like the mo- we won't recognize the moniker. There's one thing, huh? We won't recognize the moniker. We wouldn't recognize Oh, yeah, whatever. you will recognize the moniker. Oh, okay. Maybe. But I do want to tell you the fact that you recognize Ted Bundy and not this guy is something to think about. Like why what's the psychology behind that? Because what Ted Bundy was 34 victims? Yeah. Guess how many this guy has? 60. Anywhere between 8 and 130. <gasps> wow. <laughs> they don't That's know. That's a very <laughs> wide range yeah. also. Yeah. Now, the victim, Jane Doe 95, was Jill Barkholm. She was from Oneida, uh, Oneida, New York. Now, she mm-hmm. was free spirit. By all accounts that I've read, great person. She was a teenager. She was... 17 when she decided she wanted and this is the thing it's the 70s and everyone wants to go to california you know there there is a a golden age for killing people in california during the the 70s 70s. exactly so all these the girls they wanted to do their own thing spread their wings and i get it free spirit they all head to california (laughs) i get it (laughs) all right do you though they they go to hollywood they try to become an actor or an actress. It's interesting because, like, the golden age of film was the 50s, so these are the kids that grew up in the 50s. Well, I'm going to talk about that. This is – the 70s was or what they call they New Hollywood. In yeah. In October 1977, Jill Barkholm left home for good. Now, she didn't even contact her parents until she got there, and her mother and dad was kind of pissed. But, you know, she was explaining, you know, if I would have told you before I wanted to go, you ought to talk me out of it. So she just went. She left. She wanted to do her own thing. Maybe maybe hit it big. Who knows? But not because she got there October 1977, and she was— Murdered November 10th, 1977. Mm-hmm. She was there less than a month. Wow. That was pretty gruesome, wasn't it? It was. Just a smidge. So today we are going to be talking about <laughs> the American serial killer and mass manipulator, psychopath, sexual sadist, 
and a bunch of other terms I'm going to get to. Rodney Alcala. Okay, no one knows that name. Mm. He's responsible for up to 130 female victims, but no one knows exactly how many people he killed. Besides him, he's actually still alive. Whoa! He's still in prison. He's been on death row twice, and both times his sentences were overturned. He is now 75 years old. He was born August 23rd, 1943, and he is in prison in the California State Prison in Cochrane, and he's also been tried in New York as well. Well, California just abolished the death penalty. Yeah, so he's not going anywhere. Hmm. From Hollywood, the dating capital of the world, it's the dating game here's the star of our show your host Jim Lyon hey. oh door number one two or three thank you very much thank you thank you and welcome to the dating game and the dating game it's time to meet our first three eligible bachelors for right. game number one and here they are Let's see. Bachelor number one is a successful photographer who got his start when his father found him in the dark room at the age of 13, fully developed. <laughs> Between takes, you might find him skydiving or motorcycling. Please welcome Rodney Alcala. Rodney Alcala. There's your killer. And it's time to meet a young lady for game number He's one. Creepy looking. Here she Long is. Hair. Here is a young lady with a wealth of... I want to say this is about... This was recorded six months after the story I told you. What? So think about that and Whoa. then listen to his answers. Oh, my goodness. Experience. She once earned a living massaging feet, but she quit when her boss suggested that she work her way up. Then she taught school in Phoenix, Arizona. Now she's here to educate our three bachelors in the art of more. Welcome, if you will, sensational Cheryl Bradshaw. Hello, Cheryl. Mm, don't sit down yet. Just a minute. Want to make sure everything is straight. You relax. You feel okay. All right. You know there are three bachelors over there. There'll be one, two, and three. Ask them anything you like to find out more about them, except their name, age, occupation, or income. Okay? And we're going to start by having them say hello to you and see how they sound. Number one, would you say hello to Cheryl, please? We're going to have a great time together, Cheryl. Okay. <laughs> and here we go. Bachelor number one. Yes. What's your best time? The best time is at night, nighttime. Why do you say that? Because that's the only time there is. The only time? What's wrong with uh, morning, afternoon? Well, they're okay, but nighttime is when it really gets good. Then you're really ready. I'm a drama teacher, and I'm going to audition each of you for my private class. Bachelor number one. Bachelor number one. You're a dirty old man. Take it. Come on, over here. (laughs) (laughs) That's so weird. What's up with his teeth?
No one had straight teeth in the 70s. I want to tell you something about him, Cheryl. He's a skydiver. He's in a motorcycle. He's also a photographer. Say hello to Rodney Alcala. Rodney, come on, say hello. Congratulations, Rod. You did it with the one answer. Well, as far as I can see, Cheryl and Rodney, it looks like the two of you may be involved in some sort of racket. So we're going to have you take to the court. First, you'll receive tennis lessons from expert Naomi Besa of the famous Kirkwood Tennis Club. That starts. You're so excited about those tennis now, lessons. Now, I, I read uh, some sources. Is that girl still alive? No. <laughs> was she killed by him? That was my main question when I saw the video. I read in a few different sources that she actually canceled the date after he realized how creepy he was. Oh, gosh. After she realized, realized oh, how creepy so he she, was. So she survived that She show. is still living. <laughs> well, that's good news. That is Rodney Alcala. Or Alcala. And we are reading from the book tonight, The Dating Game Killer. Oh. This is a very famous case. Uh, I have heard the moniker, but I'm not really familiar with the case. There's a really good book. It's by Stella Sands. You should definitely read it. Hmm. It's really descriptive, and it's really well organized, so I definitely recommend it. The victim's age. Now, this is going to really upset you guys. The victim's age range ranges from 8 years old to late 20s and early 30s. Were the 8-year-olds also sexually assaulted? Yeah, so he is not only a monster, manipulator, sexual sadist, serial killer, he's also a pedophile. I'm surprised this guy's still alive in jail. So I told you guys we're going to Hollywood, and the 70s was actually known as the golden age of Hollywood. I didn't really know what that was until I looked it up, but do you guys know what the golden age is? Yes. What? It was like in the 50s. Um, no, Jen, it was the 70s. I just said it was the 70s. Oh. <laughs> <What> the yes. <fuck? laughs> what the fuck? I was thinking of the golden age of television. I the think. golden age slash new Hollywood is what I'm talking about. So what oh, is Oh, is it? that like Farrah Fawcett and them? No. All right. New- John, yes. just, just please let me stop talking. Don't put that in there. No. <laughs> no. Is not qualified for me to take it out. Yes, it does, because I asked. New Hollywood. I didn't know what New Hollywood was either. But basically, New Hollywood is after the war. People are more into international movies and stuff like that. And all the old TV producers that have been around doing silent movies to black and white movies, and they're doing the same old thing. You have all these new up-and-comers just break into the scene. In fact, the 70s and early 80s were some of the best movies ever made, including Martin Scorsese. Uh, he came into the scene. Oh, so this yeah. is New Hollywood. I'm talking about. George Lucas. Mar- George Lucas, yeah. Steven Spielberg debuted his first film, uh, The Sugar Land Express, okay, in 1974. 
What about also, Gary Marshall? Also, uh, E.T., I believe, was 1982, mm. which was one of the best films ever made. I've never seen it. Oh, my God. What? All right, I'm going to read this. I've seen it. It kind of scared me a little bit as a kid. Actually, you can read this, Nicole, about New Hollywood. Trading anecdotes for all they were worth, the panel tried to analyze why this was such an exciting area in Hollywood history. Some suggestions were offered. The breakdown of studio system, the new permissives, the influence of the new waves in Europe, and the fact that many of these movie brats, as they were dubbed, were part of the first generation of Americans to graduate from film schools. Born in the 1940s, these directors had grown up with cinema and had a passion for classic Hollywood films. They had also studied and were influenced by the masters of foreign cinema. So this is New Hollywood. I had no idea what New Hollywood was. I'd never even heard of it. I'm not really much of a film dude. The new generation of Hollywood filmmaker was most importantly from the point of view of the studios, young, therefore able to reach the youth audience they were losing. In fact... There's a movie that came out that you guys may have heard of, came out called Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. In fact, the old producers thought that movie would just tank. They they criticized it so much, and they and that really pinpointed how much they did not understand about their new audience. They were losing grasp of what people wanted to see, and these young guys like Scorsese and Spielberg— they were taking the market share of these Hollywood films. Hmm. This group of young filmmakers, including actors, writers, and directors, dubbed, quote, the new Hollywood by the press, briefly changed the business from the producer-driven Hollywood system of the past. All right, so as Jen mentioned earlier, there were some serial killers working in the area. We have Son of Sam... Wayne Patrick Kearney from episode yeah, oh, yeah early on nine that yeah. we did, and the Hillside Stranglers were also working in the area. All right, so you guys have never heard of the serial killer. Have you guys heard of the Honestly, dating no. game killer? Yeah, I have heard of that, no. but I'm not familiar with the case. I've but apparently, I live under a rock, so it's not a big deal. Well, it's you right, wouldn't sure. hear about him if it wasn't for the dating game. I mean, that's such a unique it's a, it's thing. A popular for was a popular show. But for a killer to have already killed all these people and then and go, then on, the go on the dating that's show. That's fucking ballsy. Yeah, that's yeah, right? It's really ballsy. Because he is saying, like, I don't give a fuck. Usually at this point of the episode, I'll talk about the first murder and try to show how the serial killer started. His MO, how it evolved, starting from the first murder. Fortunately for all of us here... This was not a murder. It was very close to being a murder, but from a good Samaritan and a very fast-acting police officer, the victim was saved. Wow. Very close to death. If you if you do not want to hear this particular part, because we are going to be talking about the brutality done upon an eight-year-old child Aww. as his first when Rodney Alcala, the dating game killer, was 25. You can skip forward. That was his first kill? Well, it wasn't well, his possibly. kill, but first. Confirmed, confirmed. Yeah. You can skip forward into the next segment. September 25th, 1968. This is 10 years before the dating game. Rodney wow. Alcala was 25 years old. He's had it for a long time. Yeah. He was 25, an 8-year-old by the name of Tally, T-A-L-I. She's still alive. 
to this day. She's actually had to testify against this guy three times in her life. It's almost as bad as in Canada. Her name was Tally Shapiro, which is kind of a mob name. (laughs) Shapiro. Like Robert Shapiro was the name of OJ's lawyer. Yeah. Tally Shapiro was skipping to her school, literally skipping. She's eight years old. Mm. And this is in Hollywood. Okay, yeah, things happen in California, but not in Hollywood Hills. Is he a famous photographer to be able to afford living in the I'm going to show you some of – that's a good question. I'm going to show you some of his photography. It's very exceptional, very good photography. But he wasn't famous, but, yeah, he was getting paid for it, Hmm. a lot of it. She was skipping her way to school. She was on Sunset Boulevard, okay? She was on her way to Gardner Street Elementary School in Hollywood, California. She was temporarily living at the Chateau Maman Hotel, which I'm going to get into. It's a very famous hotel. Yeah, it's Chateau Maman. Chateau Maman, the hotel in the hills. Yeah, it's like right. Isn't very it right? famous. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the celebrities. The uh, Jim Morrison spent time there. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's known as the... The hotel that even Lindsay Lohan cannot break, <laughs> even to this day. She spent a lot of her time through rehab in the hotel. I'm going to get to the hotel in a minute. It's very, It's got a lot of history. Hmm. All right. So she was living there temporarily. Now, this is in West Hollywood. She was living with her brother, sister, and her parents. Her dad was a very successful music, he, very successful uh, music executive. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, producing yeah. Death Row Records, Tupac, Biggie, probably not, but uh, seems a bit early for that. Yeah, yeah. Chateau Maman is known as the Castle on the Hill. Now, huh. let me let me tell you a little bit about this Castle on the Hill. This is a really cool hotel. Mm. It's not an Ed Sheeran song right now. Huh? Castle on the Hill. Wow. It does look like a castle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen this. It's right over by Sunset Boulevard. It's very old school. Lot. It's got like a tower, almost like a tower at the top. But you know, that's probably not the best word for it. So um, she was living there, and I'm gonna tell you, for an eight year old girl living in this hotel, must have been such a treat. Because Fuck as yeah. I'm about to mention, like this hotel has got a lot of history. Mm. It's interesting that sign is really old. Yes. This is from Curbed, which is a Los Angeles kind of pop magazine. Uh, the history of bad behavior at their chateau. Am I saying that right? Chateau. chateau. At the chateau dates to shortly after its founding as a hotel in the 1930s. It was originally built in the 1920s as Los Angeles Los Angeles' first earthquake-proof apartment building mm. and would eventually become Los Angeles' First Lindsay Lohan proof building. <laughs> what do they mean by was she just she like, couldn't get into it? No, she no she stayed there oh. during a rehab, but she can't break it. She oh. couldn't knock down the walls and do. I mean, she's fucking crazy. Oh, interesting. Didn't she lose yeah. a finger recently? Probably. Mm. Studios rented the apartments here. This is crazy. They rented these apartments for the express purpose of having someplace safe for their stars to engage in whatever nasty little habits they had. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that you can think of, raunchy and nasty and gross. And illegal. Went, yeah, so went down at this hotel, the Chateau Maman. In fact, it's been quoted that you could get 
high off marijuana just by looking in the keyholes of certain rooms. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I wonder if it's haunted now. No, people still live there. Yeah, I know, but that doesn't mean it's not haunted. The famous examples being Harry Cohen, head of Columbia Pictures. Now, these these guys would send their stars there. Right. Telling two of his randiest young stars, William Holden and Glenn Ford, quote, if you must get into trouble, do it at the Chateau Montmartre. F. Scott Fitzgerald. Great Gatsby. <laughs> is widely said that had he had a heart attack at the Chateau in the Chateau. late in the late 1930s, James Dean hmm. jumped through a window to audition for Rebel Without a Cause. Well, he got the part. Mm-hmm. And the director of that movie, Nicholas Ray, was living in one of the bungalows there at the time. He was having an affair with an underage Natalie Wood. Oh wow! <laughs> wow. All right, there Scandalous. are there are many, many, many numerous stories about one Mr. Jim Morrison of the Doors mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> having a rough time getting both in and out of the building. He supposedly jumped off the roof and the terrace, but he was onto the ground. You saw how tall. I mean, look how tall it is. Yeah. yeah. He jumps off the roof. He lands on the ground, but he was so high that he walked away just fine. And apparently, from then on out, they said that that was one of his, that was his, quote, eighth of his nine lives dying shortly after. Wow. (laughs) Led Zeppelin rode their motorcycles through the lobby in 1960s. On Hmm. March 5th, 1982, this is sad for Jen, comedian John Belushi Belushi died from a speedball Mm. injection in Bungalow 3. I think speedball Mm -hmm. is crack and speed. Mm -hmm. Some type of, you know... There is a commonly denied or non-denied story that uh, Benicio Del Toro and Scarlett Johansson hooked up in the elevator the night before the 2004 Oscars. Hmm. Wasn't she still with Ryan Reynolds at that point? Maybe. Lindsay Lohan shacked up at the Chateau in the midst of her first drunk driving scandal. During a public meltdown phase in September 2007, Britney Spears was temporarily banned from the Chateau for smearing her face with food and disgusting fellow diners. And one more thing, Lohan was banned in 2012, racking up a bill of $46,350.04 on the tab for stuff like cigarettes, candles, iPhone chargers, and copies of the Architectural Digest. <laughs> so this place is kind of like a fortress. Like people go there to do bad shit, <laughs> yeah, to, and have no one know. Yeah, about and it's it. so protected. You know, huh. it's so fortified, and the staff are just so overlooking of things. <laughs> uh, they've got some serious NDAs. Yeah, so even even now, it's known as that. Anyway. So now we're back to Tally Shapiro, eight years old. She was skipping to school. And a nice, young-looking 25-year-old photography student, Rodney Alcala, Alcala, pulled up. Now, you guys can tell by the video, one of the reasons I showed you that video so early is because he is a master manipulator. You guys understand that? Mm-hmm. He can manipulate people more better than Ted Bundy can, I, I believe. Anyway. And I know his teeth were all messed up, but it was the 70s. As she skipped to school, Alcala pulled up and said something in the lines of, come on, get in, I'll give you a ride to school. Now, she resisted, obviously, 
because, you know, her parents told her don't get rides with strangers, stuff like that. But he continued to press, you know, I got a pretty picture I'm going to show you. And she was like, oh, yeah, that sounds nice. And then she was like, well, my parents said I can't rhyme with strangers. And then Rodney Alcala, this part of his MO, he would then say, well, I know your parents. And they said it was okay. So now mm-hmm. he kind of broke down that barrier. Anyway, luckily for all of us here, huge shout out. I don't know if this dude's still, I guess he's still alive. But on September 8th, 1968, when eight-year-old Tally Shapiro was skipping to school, a one Donald Haynes was driving to work when he saw this entire thing go down and he knew something just wasn't sitting right. So in his head, he was like, all right, I must be absolutely crazy. This is probably just the father and daughter getting in a little argument or doing something. It's, it's probably nothing. Maybe that's her uncle, you know, but it's, it's just nagging me. So what he did is he decided to follow the car. Now, Ronnie Alcala was kind of s- slowly creeping along side of Tally Shapiro until she finally got in the car. Um, the Good Samaritan decided to follow the car, watch the whole exchange, then watched Rodney Alcala's car pull into an apartment complex where they both went inside. Mm. He then called LAPD and said he was basically like, listen, I may be crazy and I definitely don't want to waste you guys' time. This may just be nothing at all. But I saw something, this girl talking to this guy, it was kind of weird looking, long hair, just didn't didn't sit right with me. Can somebody just check it out? And if, if it's nothing, I'm real sorry. I mean, he was actually yeah. conflicted in his mind, thinking right. himself as crazy, you know. But luckily, Good for him for saying something. yeah, luckily his senses, you know, overpowered, and he called the police. Now, the young patrolman pulled into the apartment complex and knocks on the door, you know, and Alcala comes to the window. He's completely nude and shocked, and he sees the cop. He's like, you know. Right. But he doesn't open the door. He's like, just a minute. I just got out of the shower. I'll be just a minute. Just let me grab a towel. But then the officer's like, okay, that makes sense. But wait, he's not wet or anything. Mm. And there's an eight-year-old girl in there. So he says, you got 10 seconds to open this door or I'm going to kick it down. Anyway, he kicks the door down. Good. And as he goes through the apartment, not knowing what he's going to find, he sees all this camera equipment set up. Professional oh, camera equipment, no. taking pictures. Rodney Acala wasn't there. He actually escaped out of the back window, butt ass naked. He got away, <gasps> but that wasn't what was on this officer's mind because he didn't see anything at first. But in the kitchen, of all places, yeah, in the kitchen is when he saw eight-year-old Tally laying on her back. I want to say that this officer had served four years in Vietnam as an infantry squad leader. So he's seen all kinds of shit, but he has never seen something like this. The eight-year-old, nearly dead, brutally beaten, obviously raped with a heavy dumbbell, like a weight-lifting dumbbell, across her neck. Oh, my god! Her complete face was so white because it was completely drained of blood. He thought she was dead. Oh, my God. Luckily, for some reason, he went up there, even though he thought he was she was dead already, took that dumbbell, threw it off. Instantly, 
the blood started coming back into her face, he realized she was still living. She Mm -hmm. still had a pulse. It was very faint, but she still had a pulse. Thank God. All right. This is from the book, The Dating Game Killer. The officers immediately noticed a large amount of photographic equipment, including a tripod in the living room. And in piles all over the apartment were photographs of young girls. A trail of blood stains led from the living room into the kitchen. The officer entered the kitchen and then gagged on the floor in a pool of blood laid a lay a new child on her back, her head bashed open. A large heavy metal bar like a dumbbell lay horizontally across her neck. Her legs were spread apart, a massive amount of blood coming from her vaginal area. Hi. Now, she lived. The doctors took the girl into the operating room and began sewing up the fissure in the back of her head. It took several hours and 27 sutures to close the gap. Mm-mm. Rodney Alcala got away from that. I mean, and that was so long before that dating game thing. Yeah. yeah. After a while, Alcala was caught, but Tally's dad, high-paid executive in the music industry, quit within that week. Quit? Moved his family to Mexico. Because, I mean, number one, he's got a, his daughter needs to heal. Yeah. You know, emotionally. Right. And you can't do that in the same spot as where this happened. No. So they refused to participate in any of the upcoming Alcala trials, which it may have hurt the Mm. prosecution, but I definitely can understand why. Yeah. Alcala did get caught. Good. How yeah. much do you think you would receive for a sentence like that? For just the eight-year-old? Yeah. This is his first offense. First Ten offense w- of an eight-year-old, and he... Um, I'd like to say he at least got 25 to life, but you're asking us for shock value, I think, so I'm going to say five years. Shock value? Me? What? As I said before, the Shapira family decided not to testify. Okay. Mm, right. So that makes things a lot harder. Alcala received one year to life in prison for child molestation, only child molestation. Not and, attempted murder? Well, one, so it's one to life in prison. It's called an indeterminate sentencing. Basically, it's not like, all right, you get 10 years. You know, and that's it. It's it's one to life. Like, it's all based on rehabilitation and good behavior, which Rodney Alcala, He's a.k.a. The master manipulator. the master manipulator, can be rehabbed. In fact, he was rehabbed in only 34 months. Wow. He was out record clean. Goes back and lives with his parents. All right, let me talk about the background growing up as Rodney Alcala. Rodney Jacquez Alcala Bacor was born August 23rd, 1943. He was born in San Antonio, Texas. Okay. Okay. He lived with his parents, his two sisters, his brother, his maternal grandmother. His maternal grandmother, he loved Mm -hmm. very close to the grandmother. Okay. Middle-class home, middle-class neighborhood. He wasn't really bullied or anything that I could find. He was just kind of a normal kid. All right. But a narcissist. I don't think, I, I don't know about if that came later or not. 
I mean, I didn't see anything where he was a narcissist as a child. When he was eight, the family actually moved to Mexico for three years because the grandmother that he adored so much was really ill. And she wanted to basically go down there and, you know, pass away in her homeland. And uh, about three years later, at the age of 13, the grandmother actually died which was a huge blow to him. That was one of the big stressors, if you will, hmm. of his childhood. Possible trigger. Yeah, possible trigger. Also, around that same age, his dad, his father, left the family Ooh. and his mother to raise the kids, and he went back to the States. Oh. Now, eventually, they did move back to the States as well, but it was still the mother raising all the children. Did they join him? No. Hmm. Yeah, no, he and the father never got remarried or anything, but they never really got back together. All through his childhood school, when he was up until 13, he was raised in Catholic schools, very religious family. And at the age of 13, he just got sick of it. He got sick of Catholicism. He demanded to go to public school, which he did. Now, I want to say he was technically a genius. I've seen a lot of reports where he's got about 140 mm. IQ. Wow. Very smart guy. And you can read this for us, Nicole. Throughout his school years, Alcala maintained consistently excellent grades. According to school reports, he was above average intelligence and took to his studies seriously. He was considered respectful and kind. None of his teachers nor anyone in his family ever reported that Alcala was a problem child in any way. At the age of 18, he went to he went to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Oh, jeez. My once hometown. Yeah. And he became a paratrooper, just really? like me. Whoa. Just like me, paratrooper. But he was not an infantryman. He was a clerk. For about, <laughs> yeah. For about four years. Now, two years later after he joins, he shows up at his mother's door because he goes AWOL. Mm. Ooh. So he can't take the pressure. Yikes. Now, this is really important because... The pressure of being at a desk? <laughs> what? <laughs> no. I mean, uh, I get it. I get being in an office is hard, but really? I don't know. Okay, um, now this is important because the mother actually sticks up for him even after all these murders. It wasn't my son. It could not have been my son. Still to you'll this day. You'll see that. When, I don't know if still to this day, but you'll see it. She's always sticking up for her son. Hmm. Can you read this, Nicole? After being interviewed by various people, including an Army psychologist, Alcala was hospitalized and told that he was in urgent need of psychological care. When Alcala's superiors were contacted in North Carolina, they said he that during his last weeks there, Alcala seemed... Is it Alcala or Alcala? Either. I've heard both. Alcala, Alcala. People say both. Okay. Alcala seemed to be suffering from a nervous breakdown and had been unable to perform his duties as required. Mrs. Alcala had never seen her son so anxious and upset, but no matter how many times she asked him what was the matter, he was unable or unwilling to articulate his feelings. She was convinced that her son had some serious emotional problems, but she never held on to the belief that the doctors would be able to give him the help he needed. All right, so he was eventually discharged, which I've seen that happen a lot, from the Army in 1964, and a psychiatrist labeled him as, quote, antisocial personality disorder, 
dash chronic severe. So now I want to talk a little bit about the MO, the modus operandi of Rodney Alcala. And the best way to do that is to dive into the DSM mm. number five and antisocial personality disorder. I'm going to just read the diagnosis criteria. Um, unless you want to read it since you're the psychology person. Sure. Lay it on me. All right. So antisocial personality disorder is a personality disorder in cluster B. Um, what is cluster B? There's three different clusters of personality disorders, A, B, and C. Diagnostic criteria for antisocial personality disorder is a pervasive pattern of disregard for and violation of the rights of others occurring since age 15 years as indicated by three or more of the following. One, failure to conform to social norms with respect to lawful behaviors as indicated by repeatedly performing acts that are grounds for arrest. Two, deceitfulness as indicated by repeated lying, use of aliases, or conning others for personal profit or pleasure. Three, impulsivity or failure to plan ahead. Four, irritability and aggressiveness as indicated by repeated physical fights or assaults. Five, reckless disregard for safety of self or, of self or others. Uh, six, consistent irresponsibility as indicated by repeated failure to sustain consistent work behavior or honor financial obligations. Seven, lack of remorse as indicated by being indifferent to or rationalizing having hurt, mistreated, or stolen from another. He also has pedophiliac disorder. I'll run through these real quick. Over a period of at least six months, recurrent intense, intense sexual Arousing fantasies, sexual urges, or behaviors involving sexual activity with a prepubescent child, generally age 13 or younger. The individual has acted on these. On the individual is at least 16 years of age. And so there's two different types. There's exclusive type, which is attracted only to children. And the non-exclusive type, which is what Rodney Alcala is, he's attracted to both children and older women up to hmm. 32, is, I think is his oldest victim. Hmm. So he is a non-exclusive pedophile. Interesting. I don't think I've ever heard it in that term before. Yeah, I didn't realize that you could be both. Okay, so his modus operandi, depending on the age of the victim, he would use different tactics. His ruse for teens, 16 years and up, would be this. Now, usually at the beach is where he would make the most of his killings, if right. you will. He would go up to a girl or a group of girls or maybe one or two, you know, blondes together or whatever. And he says he would have his camera on his neck and say, he would say something like, hey, can I take your picture right quick? I'm in this photography class. I'm trying to get a good grade. Or I'm doing this contest for my photography class. Can I take a picture of you? Yeah, that would have been smart. And he had gotten plenty of pictures. So this is a little bit about ruses. I think it's kind of interesting. This is from a former commander of Bronx Homicide Task Force of the New York Police Department, Vernon Gerberth. Is his name? He's an expert on this. A practical homicide investigation tactics, procedures, and all this stuff. This is what he says about ruses. Many serial killers develop a ruse to be able to help lure their victims away from a safe area to a location where they can control them. These types of offenders are able to engage their victims in conversation. 
exactly what he was doing. Also, Ted Bundy did the exact same yeah, thing. that's what I was thinking. Yep. Okay. Quote, they are seemingly charming. He is. Charismatic. Yep. He is. And easy to trust. There you go. They select vulnerable types who are easy to control, often young women whom they can impress and dominate. That sums up Rodney Alcala perfectly. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. So he would take a picture or two, and I'm going to show you a lot of the pictures, not new pictures, but I'm going to show you some of the photo photographs. He would snap a few pictures, glamour shots, this, that, and the other, and then he'd be like, hey, you want to do a few you know, nude photos? And then when the girl, as soon as she starts to pull her shirt over her head, he would take that big pointy rock and smash their head in. <laughs> That's how he would do it. Mm. All right. Now, he had multiple aliases. He would always use different names, like John Berger was one of his names. <laughs> Nicole, can you read this? He stated serial killers vary in many ways. They are motivated differently. They target different types of victims who vary in gender, race, age, as well as physical characteristics. They kill in different ways and for different reasons. Some kill in order to interact with a dead body, while others have no interest in such aspects. They all come from racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic backgrounds. Many were abused, but some were not. Some came from broken families with absent fathers, mothers, or both, but some came from intact families. However, he pointed out, serial killers usually have a particular MO, which is similar in each of their killings, and they frequently have a victim preference, such as a certain sex, appearance, age, group, race, or occupation. Serial killers have a variety of attributes that make them successful killing machines. They use their ability to be superficial, engaging, and glib to get what they want, to be alone with their soon-to-be victim. A cautionary tale appears to be in both the Christian Bible and the Aesop's fable, Beware of a wolf in sheep's clothing. I love that. The saying Mm. seems to apply to serial killers, but the question remains, how does one recognize the disguise before it's too late? We talked about this before, about the four categories of serial killers i just want to quickly go over it we talked about it before what do you mean i just want to do a quick refresher on it i don't know if we have talked about yeah. it. yeah according to criminologists there are four distinct categories of serial killers based on motive this is very important i think we went over it once before number one you have visionary serial killers which hear voices Hmm. Um, these care, these killers usually get a calling to kill from either God or a demon. Now you might think of son of Sam. I don't know how much y'all know about him. How much? Mm-mm. He wasn't, he was technically a vision, visionary killer because he got his commands from his neighbor's dog named Sam. Do y'all, do y'all know the story at all? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So that's a visionary. So he was basically getting voices in his head. Uh, mission-oriented serial killers justify their act as writing, uh, ridding the world of certain types of people, homosexuals, prostitutes, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You can even think of Dylan Roof from Charleston, which I'm going to cover eventually, the uh, church killer. Mm. Um, oh, Dylan Roof. So he's, I would consider him a mission-oriented serial killer. Well, he's more of a mass murderer, not a serial killer. Yeah. Hedonistic serial killers find pleasure in killing. They believe people are expendable. Uh, forensic Psychologists divide hedonistic serial killers into three subgroups. Lust killers, which is primary motive is sex. Mm. You probably think of Ted Bundy for that one. Yep. Mm. And this guy. Yeah. 
A thrill killer is the next uh, subcategory. Uh, the primary motive is to induce pain or create terror. I can't think of one that we've covered who has done that. Um, what about Richard Trenton Chase? Mm, I don't know. The third subcategory is comfort killers. Usually choose their victims from their own families or close friends. Ooh, rough. The fourth category is the power control serial killer. This is people that the killers that get a rush from having power over their victims and raping them as a way to show domination. Mm. I would kind of consider Alcala uh, for maybe between four and a hedonistic. That's the four types of serial killers based on those four categories. So I'll try to bring that up more and more as we do the episode so we can learn those. Mm. All right. So he would actually pose the bodies after death. That's why you saw when we first started this story, Jill Barkholm, Jane Doe 95, she was positioned in that certain way because she was posed staged. after death. She was staged, yes. The last murder that he was actually known to have committed was June 20th, 1979. This was a huge in the media one that was his downfall, I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. It was a 12-year-old named Robin Samso. Uh-uh. She was a blonde-haired, pretty, it was very sad. I don't know a good word. She was blonde, 12 years old. She was actually headed down to Huntington Beach. Where, you know, her family is at Huntington Beach. She, Huntington Beach. She was with a friend. She just started her ballet classes. In fact, she just got a job at the ballet studio answering phones. And she had to leave Huntington Beach to go down to the studio. Now, before she left, Rodney Alcala came up to both her and her friend and enticed them of taking model pictures. He was like, hey, I work for this modeling studio. Would you guys like to pose? And then he was interrupted by someone that actually knew the victim, walked up and said, basically, what's going on here? Rodney Alcala quickly grabbed his camera stuff and put his head down and walked away. The the woman that walked up thought the story was over. Unfortunately, it was not. He was waiting on her. And when she was riding her bicycle towards the ballet studio, she was abducted. Her bones were found weeks later. No one knows what took place, but she was most likely subjected to the same. This was the last Mm. killing. So you can use your imagination. But this is the last confirmed killing. Last confirmed killing, yeah. But this was media a media sensation back this one. Eventually getting Rodney Alcala into prison and getting convicted for this. Around this time, after they were looking for Rodney Alcala, because they they knew the guy, they had a a sketch that looked just like him. They knew he was at the beach that time, even though he was denying it. They found a storage locker of his. Mm. And this is even till this day, this is very important, because this came out in 2010, I think. In March 2010, after a third jury in 30 years, this guy has been going in and out of prison systems for 30 years, doing all kinds of trials. Nothing has ever oh, really right. stuck because it's all, there wasn't there wasn't uh, concrete DNA evidence. The technology wasn't there at the time, and it was all based on eyeball witnesses and stuff like that. In and March, that's not good enough. 
No, I guess not. And plus, he's a manipulator. He could tell the judge. I mean, that's how he got out of ra- almost killing, you know, the eight-year-old Tally. Yeah. He served 34 months for that. Um, in March 2010, after a third jury in 30 years handed Alcala a death sentence, which was overturned, Huntington Beach police released more than 100 photos. Whoa. 100 of the 900 that they found in a storage locker. They released 100 because the rest were too explicit to release to the public. And the ones they did release that weren't explicit were often nude but would be cut so you can't see the body. All these years of going in court, families will come into the courtroom and beg Rodney Alcala because, you know, their daughter went missing and they haven't seen her and she's maybe dead. They would beg him. It, did you kill my daughter? Do you know her? Did you kill her? I need to know. We need closure. Yeah. And he d- denied, 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 even to this day. And his mother was right there with him. Deny, deny, deny. Okay. Now, this is the serial killer's secret photo stash that was in his secret storage locker. So I'm going to run through these pictures. You can kind of see the age range and kind of see the poses that they were taking. I want to say they did identify a lot of these photos and the women were still living. But a lot of them have not been identified, meaning that this is why people think he's killed up to 130 people. Hmm. Because there's uh, hundreds of women here. Yeah, and they released this throughout the nation, and no one has claimed them. I mean, yeah, you could assume if any of these women were missing. So you see kind of seductive poses in some of these. You know, they were probably smoking marijuana. There was, you know, it was the 70s, and there was a case that I read from this guy where he brutally raped a girl up in the California hills, and luckily he was, he held her hostage And luckily, the whole thing was broken up by a park ranger. Wait, he didn't brutally rape her yet, but luckily, it was broken up by a park ranger. Mm. And they were smoking marijuana, and he tried to blame it on the 12-year-old girl. Hmm. But, I mean, you can see. So, it's interesting. It says, recognize this person in the photo. Please contact the hunter. Yeah, this is in 2013. They're they're re-releasing these photos in 2013. If you recognize these people. Now, this is from the 70s. But does this look like your daughter? Does this look like your niece? Does this look like anyone you know? Because these people are technically missing. There was about 900 photos in his storage locker. Wow. Most of them they cannot release because they're just too explicit. So, I mean, can you imagine? There are probably all kinds of post-mortem pictures and all kinds of stuff. I, I mean, who knows? I don't want to begin to think about that. So I'll put, um, wow. I'll put a link to all the pictures on talkmurder.com yeah. for you guys because, um, yeah, he was a good photographer. You can definitely tell he's a really good photographer. But, I mean, he's also a very, very sick man. Yeah. All right, so he did receive the death sentence. It's our third time. This is 36 people now who's all agreed that this man deserves to die. Your feelings any different than the last comment? 
I'm feeling stronger that because of his own defense, he's eliminated the other procedures that got appealed. As soon as he admitted that uh, he had been convicted of other crimes and uh, he had was on death row, his credibility became really hard to uh, to be believable. So he he represented himself through all his court trials. Now the lack of DNA really was the main reason why he didn't get put in in prison a lot sooner. But he was eventually linked to three unsolved murders. 18-year-old Jill Barkholm, remember her, Jane Doe 95, which we first talked about, 27-year-old Georgia Wickstead, and 32-year-old Charlotte Lamb, who were murdered between November 1977 and June 1978. All right. So, yeah, he is still in prison, and he is wow. a bona fide monster. I'll say. I hope you guys really enjoyed that story. I've been wanting to do that for a long time because I kept seeing the YouTube video of him on the dating game, and I thought it was really interesting. And I thought it'd be a really fun story. And, and it, you know, it was definitely interesting, but br- brutality is one thing, but, you know, eight year old. Eight-year-olds and stuff like that. Uh, so Unforgivable. So he's convicted of eight because of the lack of DNA evidence right now with a lot of cases. Yeah. So, I, I mean, because when you think about it was when he was on the dating game show, it was a couple, he said it was a couple years. Yeah, it was like in the middle of all caught. this stuff. Yeah, that's kind of strange that they didn't do he, anything before. That, Six-year-old, six, was she six or eight? No, she was eight. So that eight-year-old, that was 10 years before they Yeah, so he him. served he's, 34 months. He's, he's been in this, and out of prison. But he's been at this for a long time. Yeah, he's right. been in and out of prison. All sentences that would, you know, he would be rehabilitated or the sentences wouldn't stick. And when you think about like a Ted Bundy who was compulsive in his killing, like again, we don't we don't know all the numbers of all the serial killers and how many people they actually killed. But when we talked about Bundy, we talked about how there's, you know, he couldn't stop himself and there were probably murders that happened in between. So if that is also this guy's personality, it very well could be in that over 100 number. Right. Yeah, I think it is because a lot Cause of— Because it went on for at least 15 years. And no one can identify a lot of these photographs. That's but, also kind of surprising, but yeah, maybe people just don't pay attention to what's out there. I had no idea. Yeah, so that was the dating game killer, Rodney Alcala. He is currently 75 years old. He is still imprisoned. And he is responsible from anywhere from eight victims to 130. He is a complete monster, sexual sadist. And he's still alive, that rat bastard. Yeah, a sexual sadist, a pedophile, a narcissist, just complete monster. And in fact, he represented himself and he would, you know, cross-examine some of the... It was just awful. Oh, that is terrible. Yeah, just... You know, I mean, I, I watched his some of his court testimony, him testifying, and it's just, it's he's not a good person. Mm-mm. You know, he's I mean, he's a monster, yeah. a straight monster. And I'm surprised that more more people have heard of Ted Bundy than they've heard of this guy. I think Ted Bundy had more of an American appeal, yeah, or something. Why this guy kind of was foreign looking, you know. Hmm. 
But that is Not a dating a game killer. Good looks, if you want to be. see the dating game video, I'll put it on YouTube or I'll, I'll put it on talkmar.com. Plus go there, share this post, share this podcast. Tell me what you think, give me a comment, stuff like that. If you really enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use. If you really like this episode, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our stalker, go to talkmurder.com slash join. Become a Talkos Primo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker, swag, a lot of love. Shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you may do. I'll research it and dedicate it to you every Thursday. Talk Murder Me podcast. My name is John, here with Jen and Nicole. And until next time, say cheese. I can see where all of my projects are at. It's like, wow, good for I you. just fucking watched an ad, you piece of shit. No, I'm going to fucking watch it for spite. We're to recording the pods. What do they say in The Bachelor? Will you take this rose? Will you accept this rose? You know, a rose is a symbol for a vagina. I thought that was a lily, a calla lily. Well, a flower in general. Because they look like a vagina. What? It's got thorns. (laughs) What? (laughs) I like it. Well, it's my gift card, so I go whenever I want.